from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your dawning radiance. Lift up your eyes and look all around. They are all gathered. They have come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on caregivers' hips. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart will tremble and open wide because the sea's abundance will be turned over to you. The nation's wealth will come to you. Countless camels will cover your land, young camels from Midian and Ephah. They will all come from Sheba, carrying gold and incense, proclaiming the Lord's praises. The word of God for the people of God. We say together, thanks be to God. And now we turn to our gospel reading, the gospel of Matthew from chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it is written, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them, where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me, so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star they had seen in the east went over them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite stories. I, uh, I'll start with a, a personal story. My son, who's, who's not here so I can embarrass him, if it embarrasses him, who's like this tall now, so I've got to be careful what I say. Uh, when he was little, he liked hamburgers, right? What American child doesn't? And he was eating a hamburger, and I wanted to, to show him and bless him with the gift of ketchup. And I said, let me see your burger. He said, no. I said, no, just let me see your burger. I want to put this, this wonderful sauce on it. And he looked at the sauce, and he said, mm-mm, I, I don't want it. I said, but you haven't even tried it. Yeah, I don't want it. And as a dad, I felt compelled to force him to, you know, I was going to ready to take his sandwich and I had to be lovingly reminded, just let the boy eat his hamburger. So I did. But I knew what he was missing out on, except for those of you who don't like ketchup. The rest of us know how 
wonderful ketchup can make a hamburger. Um, I tell that story because it's hard. It's hard to let go and try something new. And it, we don't ever outgrow that, do we? We finished Advent today, or not Advent, but the Advent series that we've been working on. This is our seventh time together, and we celebrate Epiphany, which means we celebrate the manifestation of the Christ for Gentiles. And after today, the Christmas season is over. We have anticipated the birth. We have received the birth child, and we've begun our search for the work of Jesus Christ being ever birthed in our lives. And today we focus on finding this miraculous life that God has for us. Our reading from Isaiah proclaims great news of redeeming light having shone from Israel for all nations. That's magnificent news. Maybe we've grown accustomed to it in the church and we stopped realizing how magnificent it is. But God wants to shine through the people to the rest of the earth. And Israel is to be the source of God's light for all to walk into that way of light. And Israel, for all of its imperfections, was the source of that light. Israel was human, yes. They didn't do everything right. You don't have to read very far in our Hebrew Scriptures to see some of the stories where some people got it a little wrong. But nevertheless, Jesus was born in the land of Judah from parents who were Israelite. Israel bore the light. And the ancient prophecy was understood Okay? The ancient prophecy of Isaiah was understood only later by the early church to be a pre-echo, if you will, of the story of Christ. Only later it was. Israel, hearing the, the excitement for the birth of this king, they were really excited, weren't they? Weren't they? Maybe? Maybe not all of Israel. But Israel's king, he was excited, yes? No. No, that's not the story. But, but once the powers that be and all the religious authority come together and understand who this Jesus of Nazareth is, they're going to respond with adoration and praise, yes? No, that's not the story. Last week we focused on the Gospel of Luke and how the ministry of Jesus was kind of bookended with these searches for Jesus. One was the 12-year-old Jesus. They looked for three days and found him in the temple. And what he said perplexed them. And then after the ministry of Jesus, the first day of his resurrection, men, or a man and his wife, or however you interpret it, were walking the road to Emmaus and thought they'd lost everything. And suddenly somebody shows up and it comes to be that it's Jesus who says and does things they did not expect. The ministry of Jesus is bookended in Luke by the unexpected by the search and the finding that leads you in a way you had no idea you would go. Today, Matthew does just the same thing. Matthew bookends the story. Today's story has the religious authorities of the day, has King Herod coming together and considering the news of this king of the Jews, and everyone's troubled. Later, in the Passion Week, Jesus will stand before Herod, Herod's son, will stand before the Roman authority, and uh, gosh, I can't think of his name now. Help me out. Pontius Pilate. And then we'll also gather before the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, and they will be perplexed at who he is. And both stories end in a threat of life. This is the book ending of the story of Jesus' ministry. Hmm. Both times the powers didn't welcome the disruptive presence of God and Jesus of Nazareth. And when things are going along fine in life, when we're comfortable, do we welcome disruption? 
Do we fight against it? Yes. Yes, we do. I can understand a bit of Herod's dilemma. He's king of Judea, and he's supposed to be the man that is the representative of God for the people. That's what the king of the Jews is supposed to do and be. But instead, he chose to quest after power and status and quest viciously and violently and murderously. And in any that he got, he fought and defended it fiercely. Most of his life was spent that way, and his, his legacy is not too great, even today. But does our culture really tell us to do anything differently? Are we in a world that encourages us to try new things and to not fight for power and status and wealth and security? I see it in all levels of leadership everywhere. Every nation, every organization, even in churches. The end of this gospel finds Jesus instructing disciples to go out to all nations, to baptize, to make disciples, to go and teach, to go to the edge of the earth, to everybody. Yes? Our story today tells of a group of travelers who come from the edge of the earth to proclaim news that no one else would accept. You see the, the beauty in this gospel. The origin of these travelers is unknown. They're simply referred to as magi, and there's lots of debate and theories about who they were and what they were. What we find in Matthew is actually an echo of a story in the book of Numbers. You can write, write down Numbers 22 through 24. It's, it's three chapters about Balaam. Have you ever heard of Balaam? Whose donkey spoke to him? Yeah, it's a fun story. Balaam is a man from a distant country, not Israelite, who's instructed by a corrupt king to come and pronounce curse upon Israel because this king wants to beat them in war. And Balaam comes after a fun story with his donkey, and he doesn't curse them. He's instructed by God to bless them, and he blesses them not once, not twice, but three times. Three times he ignores the corrupt king and does what God wants to do and brings a gift to Israel's door from a land that was not theirs. Matthew is all about revealing how Jesus fulfills the ancient promise of the Hebrew people, where the leaders and religious elite of Israel resist, the outsiders understand it's again and again in our gospel stories. Everyone that you think shouldn't get it does. And, and the thing that perplexes me, and think about this, they followed a star. Where's the star? Can we all see it? Was there anything veiling it in the land of Israel that made the Magi only be able to see it in their land? No. They saw it, and they even saw it after they left Jerusalem, and they saw it all the way to Bethlehem. Yet they are the only ones who understood it and followed it and were even aware that it was there. Isn't that strange? This morning, I looked out, and Venus was just shining brightly. It caught my attention. kind of freaked me out for a minute, and I thought about this story. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Venus, you know, but it was right there. Did they not see this star? Did they not look up? These travelers did. They were looking. And when they saw what they knew to be the sign of a king, they not only saw it, they responded. And they traveled for years Okay, and if you don't, if that aren't, sometimes our nativity story confuses it. They saw the star and they began traveling, and they come to a house in Bethlehem, and then shortly later, Herod kills everybody two and under. He was afraid of a two-year-old because Jesus had been born years prior, one or two at least. And they've been walking this whole time because they saw a star. They aren't Jewish. They don't even 
indicate they know anything about the Jewish scriptures. They have to hear the prophecy from someone else. But they set out, they traveled, they came bearing gifts, they came to offer glory and honor and praise. Have you ever seen faith like these travelers? I wonder what their response was when they arrived in Jerusalem. I would imagine they were thinking, look at this star and all that it means. And they arrived in Jerusalem thinking, this is going to be a party that's been going on for a year and a half and I can't wait to be a part of it. And they come in and no one even knows what's going on. And then they bear the good news. Guess what? Where's the king of the Jews? He's been born. And they get suspicious looks and a secret meeting. I wonder what they thought. Eventually, they're warned in a dream that Herod is not interested in welcoming this miracle, actually is threatening to kill it. From the start and throughout the gospel narrative, the message is clear. The people we expect to respond with joy and praise for Jesus don't. And the people we would expect to be insiders actually remove themselves and stand outside. They don't want to be a part of it. The people we expect to be the outsiders are actually in. It's a strange gospel. The people we would expect to stand side by side with Jesus as a holy, as a ruler, they reject him and kill him. The people who we would never see on Jesus' level, for whatever reason we've assigned, are actually welcome to the table to eat with him as an equal. And he's criticized for it. Gentile astrologers from the East are the only ones to find the boy and offer praise. Jesus has yet to say a word in this gospel, and they find him. They're of a different religion, probably, of a different culture. They have their own king and most likely their own temple, but they're the ones we hear about today as a sign of faith and what God is up to, and that should disturb you and disrupt you, and I hope you're willing to let it. The Epiphany celebrates the manifestation of Christ to the world, to everyone else. A day of celebration two years in the making is spoken of in our gospel to begin gently and clearly telling the story. Jesus is for the whole world. The whole world. Jesus is for you and you and you and you and you and you. And Jesus is for everyone else. And if you seek to exclude anyone, then understand which characters you're aligning yourself with in the story. The people whom you would expect to welcome the holy disruption of his reign in their lives and their hearts will be the very ones carefully, strategically to snuff it out. Because welcoming Jesus means you must die to yourself. You must pick up a cross, Jesus says. You must abandon any and all power and status in any quest to accrue it. You must reorient your life to God and God alone. And that is not easy. And we all struggle, which is why the language talks about death and crosses. We are called to search so that we may find. Sometimes we simply need to look up. Or in the case of the hamburger, let go. The Magi were simply paying attention. There was nothing more magnificent to them than that. They noticed, and they were willing to respond, and they did. We can get so focused on our lives, and I'm just as guilty, okay? And on our own quest for security, power, status, and comfort that we never bother to look up because we're too busy focused on ourselves. Anyone with me? We can make a routine out of everything we do, even in the church, 
so that if we try something new or even propose it, we resist. Amen? People don't like change. We like certainty. We like to know what to expect and what's going to happen. But my friends, Jesus Christ enters our lives and brings holy disruption. Jesus Christ is birthed into our reality here and now with the invitation to grow. And if you're going to grow, guess what? You are going to change. By the presence of God within us and the Holy Spirit, we're going to change. But are we so content that we fear the disruption or we seek to snuff it out? And let's be honest. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to nod your head or shake it. But where are you? How many times have we experienced disruption in our life and seen the blessing of it? I'm going to read some various things that have happened in people's lives, and you may identify with some of it. Getting fired. Experiencing disease. The loss of a loved one. Not getting accepted to the school you really wanted to get accepted into. Being told no to that job. And how many times did you turn away and say, that was the best thing that ever happened to me? In some strange, miraculous, weird way, it was the best thing, it changed my life. How many of you have experienced near death and said, it changed my life forever, I am so glad it happened? Jesus Christ longs to disrupt your life. Sadly, we hang on to routine so tightly that it takes tragedy to shake us loose. We are a stubborn creature, aren't we? I am. I'll speak for myself. I am not saying, and I want to be clear, I am not saying that God brings the tragedy. I am not saying that. Can it happen? Sure. But we do enough tragedy to each other, God doesn't have to. What God does is enter into the tragedy with you and say, I got you, I will see you through it. But I do not believe that God always brings the tragedy. And I say that just because that can lead to some very difficult walks for folks. But I will say that in the darkest and bleakest of days, in the darkest of nights, when there's nothing but the stars, God will bring a light into that darkness whether it's Isaiah bringing a word of hope to exiles, whether it's travelers from the east bringing gifts of blessing, of glory, honor, and praise to a couple that are nobodies who are being hunted by a king, Jesus Christ longs to disrupt you that you may experience the blessing and presence of God. Just seem to look up. So I invite you to close your eyes and and take a moment of self-reflection. I want to ask some questions. I want you to spend a moment with them. And I'm going to ask the question, and I want you to not, just, just see where your mind goes, where your heart takes you, and just consider that maybe that's God leading you, and you can discern later if it is. Here's the question one. Where is God leading you? You maybe have an idea that the signs maybe been there, you just haven't looked. Question two, what have been the signs in your life that God is bringing something new into it. Signs may be painful. They may be wonderful. They may go almost unnoticed, and they may be undeniable. 
What are the signs that God is bringing something new into the church? And the last question, where are you resisting? Where might you need to invite the Holy Spirit to come and bring the holy disruption of Jesus Christ that you may then go the distance to receive the greatest gift of all time to offer glory, honor, and praise to the Son of God? You may open your eyes, friends, and let me invite you to go. Pay attention. Look up. See where God is leading you and with full willingness to abandon anything and everything that stands in your way. Find Him. And may the grace and peace of the light of Jesus Christ be brought into your world and into your darkness again and again and again as you live this wonderful and amazing, mysterious life of faith. Amen? Amen.